0: So there's been a um, massive spirit of heaviness over the church of Jesus. I don't know if you felt it. Has anybody felt it in the last month or so or longer? So here's the danger is that you get comfortable with that kind of thing. And you learn to exist in that. You learn to take that as your normal reality. This oppressive Defeatism, victim type mentality where your focus is on sin, either yours or someone else's. And that brings depression. You can't handle your own sin. That's why Jesus came. Do you realize that? And the people that you're accusing, they can't handle theirs either. That's why Jesus came to handle it. You know what being blind is? She was talking about being blind. You know what being blind is? It's only seeing sin. Yours, somebody else's. You cannot be a Christian and focus on what God eradicated. You may believe in a theology about God, but true Christianity is about being a son. And you can't be a son unless sin has been removed. Some of you are even confused at that statement because you're like, well, we still sin. That's because you don't even know your own Bible. Just because you're not perfect in the human sense doesn't mean God hasn't delivered you in the spiritual sense. There's a big difference between sins of omission and sins of growth versus sins of commission. Some of you guys have been living under the power of sin and not under the power of God. You're acknowledging the power of God, but you're living under the power of sin. And some of you feel helpless in certain situations and things in your life, and you, can't, you haven't been able to stop it. You haven't been able to fix it. You haven't been able to do anything to change it. And you are using church the best you can to help you possibly one day maybe get free, but it's some vision way down the road. And right now you're a mess. Do you think that's what God envisioned when he said, I'm gonna start something called a family? For you to be so jacked up where you're at right now, exactly the way you are, exactly how you feel, exactly everything you've been through and all the things you're focusing on. You think that was God's ultimate vision for you to be where you are right now? No, he didn't do that. You did that. He's here to fix that. You can't fix it. You can't read your Bible enough, pray enough, fast enough, obey enough, believe enough, do anything enough to be able to make it occur. It has to come to form of surrender. So here's what I want to do just right here before we go any further. They're gonna sing a song and as they do, if you've been under that oppression or that, that depth of, of focus of sin or there's something in your life you haven't been able to conquer or beat and you feel like it's really just sucking the life out of you and it's really not giving you any chance to breathe, when you look in the mirror, you just really want to look away and you, you hope maybe one day you'll be what you're supposed to be. Until then, you'll just keep existing. Does that make sense to you? I, I, if that's you, I want you to come forward just up here on the altar. Because so God did not create you to exist. Frankly, in fact, I don't know anybody who's not dealing with this. So I'm not trying to pressure you to come up here. But if you, if you say you're not dealing with this, In private, I'll call you a liar. It just depends on how much you want to get free. Because everybody has this mentality they've created in serving God. Some of, you, some of you won't even pray anymore in certain places of your life because you're, you know you're not worthy of certain things or you won't approach God in certain ways or you won't do this stuff anymore because you don't feel worthy of him or whatever it might be or, you, or you've gotten so cynical that all you can see is just problems in everybody else and you just pick those things out because that's what you do to yourself. See, we've taken the good news and made it bad news that's what we've done you don't even believe in the life that's inside you anymore you you don't believe it because you will you believe what you see in yourself and in your history and what you're doing and what everybody's around you that's what you believe in what you're seeing instead of what he said when he brought you into his family it had nothing to do with you it had everything to do with him choosing you in spite of where you were and now you've taken this identity on that you've got to be good enough for him after that point but what about my sin? Listen, do you realize that before the blood of Jesus, when he was, before he died, he said, he said, go and sin no more. Before he shed his blood, the prophet of the Old Testament, the greatest one of the Old Testament, said, behold the Lamb of God. Look at him because he takes away your sin. Before the blood was shed, he said that. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more, which means in God's mind, it's possible not to live perfect, but to live under his authority, which he says I've freed you from. And if you focus on those things that he's freed you from, you are literally going backwards in your Christianity and that that will never stand. Some of you have more of a relationship with your sin than you have with Jesus. Your prayers about sin in your life or your prayers about sin in somebody else's life, your prayers about sin in your kids' lives, your husband's lives, your spouse's lives, your grandkids' lives, it's all about sin. Oh, let's bow to the power of sin, shall we? That's what you do. That's what you do. You think about it, you mull over it, you speak it, you look at it, you see it in the government, you see it in politics, you see it in your children, you see it in the mirror. It's all about sin. And yet you love Jesus. How can you love the man who took away what you're continually dragging in front of him again? He removed it. He eradicated it. Why is it still present? Because you give it life. That's the only reason it's still here is because you give it life. That's it. And you've submitted your spirit and your emotions and your heart to depression and then Christians have to start taking pills to be normal? God did not think of you before time began and think, you know, I'm going to make this one dependent upon a substance. She's not good enough, so she needs she needs these pills to help her get through and she's destined for that for the rest of her life. Do you think that's a good God? Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. The New Testament name of Emmanuel, which he says, "I'm with you." But I'm not worthy for me for you to be with me. He knows that. But he chose you anyway. See, this whole thing doesn't ride upon your performance. And if you're sitting there poking your finger at everybody else about how they're not performing, you can't see Jesus in their life. What if he's doing something in their brokenness? What if he's doing something in their depth of darkness in their life that's going to bring forth light? How come you can't see that? John spoke and he said, light shined in the darkness and darkness did not comprehend it. Those that sat in darkness saw a great light and it wasn't in you and it wasn't in me. It was in him and that light still shines in those who are the sons of God, not those who have claimed to be born again, whatever that means in this current Christian culture. That means basically at one point when you were eight in a Baptist church somewhere, you came forward to pray to prayer and since that point, your life has been miserable So when you sing this name here i want you to know that that name means god with you as you are right now he's not here to condemn you he's here to free you and liberate you most modern day christianity is based around the fact that you got to work harder to be holy enough you got to be good you got to be holy you got to be right you can't be you can't be a good enough husband or, or a mother or a child or a christian The best you can be is just in love with him in your imperfections until he makes you what you're supposed to be, until you grow up into what you know is inside of you. So I just want you to call out to his name because it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. From what? Hell, no, yourself, you from you. You're saved from you. You're saved from your problems and your sin and all those things. He wipes them away. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So just begin to sing this. Raise your hands if that's you. If you aren't bold enough to come forward and that's you out there, just raise your hands where you are. First message Jesus ever preached was to repent because the kingdom had arrived and I found in a long season of ministry that I've been involved with that people don't understand what the word repentance means those of you have been coming here for a long time you, you understand so I've taught you what that word means but Repentance isn't coming to the altar and being sorry for your sin. You know when that happens? That happens whenever you have a vision of Jesus and his goodness and how great he is and how good he is to you and how horrible you are. And then that causes you to weep over the sorrow of your sin and what it's done to him. Repentance is different. Repentance is changing how we see everything. The word means to change how you think. It goes deeper than that, though, because we don't see with our eyes. Even biologically, medically, we don't see with our eyes. These are just lenses. That's all they are. You see with your brain. Your brain interprets what the lens is seeing. If the brain is off, the vision is off. If the idea of God is off, the vision of God is off. Even if you're serving the wrong idea. Just because you're serving God, quote unquote, doesn't mean you have the proper vision of God himself. Just ask the Jews before Jesus came. They were serving God in the wrong mindset. So God comes into their wrong mindset and says, in order to fully understand me, because the last 6,000 years you've missed it, you need to change how you see me. Because if you don't change how you see me, everything I'm about to teach you will not make sense. What makes sense about a God who would choose someone like you and me? None of that makes sense. If you're going to try to factor your relationship with God based upon your morality, get ready for major disappointment. Christianity is based upon the holiness of God, not the morality of men. The holiness of God, when it's infused in a son and they grow up, the morality naturally just occurs, it's a byproduct. Those who have to preach holiness, are those who are trying to force something to happen to someone who hasn't happened yet, because holiness is a byproduct of loving Jesus with all your heart. If you try to preach holiness in any other way, all you're doing is heaping up rules and restrictions upon the flesh, and the flesh has no ability to keep those things. It can only be disappointed. And then we end up with our current model of Christianity, which is nothing more than inspiration, condemnation, and rededication. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate that cycle. You know why we celebrate it? Because someone comes back and they rededicated their life to the Lord and bless God, we all shout and clap our hands, they've rededicated their life. Why? Only so they can lose it again and go back to condemnation and start the cycle all over again. And that's what we call Christianity. Do you think this is what Jesus envisioned? Is this what Paul lived out? Is this was this the flesh and bone of God in this earth when he came and lived? Did he have cycles of inspiration, condemnation, and then rededication? Or was he a son? You've got to change how you think because if you don't change how you view God, you're going to begin to form your relationship that you have with God around how you view him. And if your view of God is ministerial, then God becomes just a resource for your ministry. And if God becomes a dictator, then your whole life becomes about trying to please a merciless accountant. If God exists to keep every bad thing from happening, then you're highly disappointed when he doesn't meet your definition of him. Do you realize in the kingdom of God, to to live according to his rule, we have to change how we think because God chooses dead, barren wombs to bring forth life. While we're trying to be fruitful apart from him, he is choosing our barrenness as a resource for him. The last thing God needs is you working for him. What he desires is you work with him. The goal isn't to save the world. I'm sorry. The world will not be saved. The goal is to glorify God. God. And in that, those who wish and will to be saved will be because we go, we preach, we evangelize. But our goal is not to save the world. Our goal is to please the king. He saves the sick. He saves the dead. He raises those people. He brings the light of the gospel. You can preach till you're blue in the face and no one will change. Ask me how I know. I've been preaching for 25 years, and the majority of the fruit of the gospel that I've seen has just been frustration. Because you see the cycle. Inspiration, condemnation, rededication. What's the point? The point is Jesus. The point isn't your inspiration and staying there. The point isn't getting you to a point of Christianity where you can have this heightened sense of awareness and never have a low day. It's the low days that he shows himself to you. It's the dark places that you see a piece of him that the regular Christianity doesn't want. Paul found something that the rest of the church didn't want. And in that, God chose him above the rest. He embraced the suffering that the rest of the church excused. And he became the man that God chose to pen his word to us. You are trying to create a version of Christianity for yourself that has no problems. God's trying to put you in the middle of those problems because he believes you're the solution. You're praying for God to protect You, so you don't have to go through hard things. God's wanting you to go through hard things so that you can help someone else. You know why your gospel doesn't work half the time? Because it's about you. Who is Jesus' gospel about? Father, and then us. That's why ministry doesn't make sense today because it's all about us. It's not about Him. It should be about Him, but it's not. You understand what I'm saying? And this gets really confusing. And then we basically stand up here trying to get people to sin less, and that's our, that's the total goal of our whole ministry is to sin less. Is that the goal? <laughs> you realize that you can glorify the Father while being imperfect? Do you know that? Do you understand that that's a possibility? that he loves broken things, broken people, and if he wanted you to be the angel that you're pursuing yourself to be, he would have created you that way and you would have had a halo when you popped out of your mother's womb. He loves you just as you are. The problem is you don't love yourself as much as he loves you. And so your version of Christianity is bettering who you are so that way you'll feel better about yourself because if you feel better about yourself, then inevitably God must feel better about you too. Do you realize that when man fell the first time in Genesis three, verse 17, it says, Adam, God God told Adam, he says, because you've listened to your wife and you've eaten the tree of which I've commanded you, saying, don't eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and in sorrow you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth to you and you shall eat of the herb of the field and the sweat of your face. You're gonna eat bread until you return out of the ground for out of you were taken and in dust you are and dust you will return. And that is the Old Testament curse. Do you understand that? Adam had to work what he was made of. You understand that? This is why most modern Christianity is based around you working you, working on you, work on yourself, work on yourself. And in the sweat of your brow, trying and fasting and praying and seeking God and ministry and whatever it might be to offset all your insecurities and whatever, whatever else is makes you comfortable. You're working that thing and working that thing and working that thing and trying to pull the thorns out of your life. But you know what? As fast as you pull them out, the faster they grow. Just like Adam, every time he turned turn around, he'd have, he'd have something else to pull out of his garden, pull out of the garden. Why? Because he's not working with God anymore, he's working for God. He's trying to accomplish the purposes of God without God himself, and it's amazing how, much, uh, how, my, how many of us have been able to be Christian without Jesus. And your whole goal, uh, our whole goal is usually just pulling out the thorns in our life. Do you realize God doesn't see those things? We think God is incessantly focused on evil in our life. No, God is incessantly focused on his son in you. Because if God was incessantly focused on the evil that was in your life, you would have no hope. You wouldn't have a chance. God exists for his own pleasure and glory. And you're a part of that scenario. But if you're incessantly focused on the thing that he died to eradicate, that puts you at odds with him. You're not gonna fix your spouse by sitting there pointing your finger in their face about everything they're doing wrong. And you're not gonna fix yourself by doing the same thing. It doesn't change you. It's amazing that we have truth without mercy. It's the mercy that makes the truth palatable. Jesus was full of mercy. This woman is laid at his feet and all these people are ready to religiously kill her and point out all her problems and all her devils and her need for deliverance and all this stuff. And he looks and he says one thing and everybody leaves. He says, we are your accusers? Is it about her sin? No. See, for God, it's about her restoration. It's not about her sin. She says, they're they're gone. Who condemns you? Nobody. I don't either. And then he says, go, sin no more. You can't sin no more until you've been in the presence of the king. if you choose to sin after that, it's just you birthing darkness. So quit birthing darkness. But I can't. No, you can. You just don't want to. Stop. <laughs> you just don't want to stop. You can. People who can't love something a little more than they love Jesus. but he's always there, incessantly focused on us. That's what we do in modern Christianity. We're constantly pulling out these things, pulling out sin, pulling out sin, sin-focused sin, faith, sin focused ministry, sin-focused ministry, sin-focused ministry. John chapter nine, you guys remember the story? The guy's blind, right? Remember the story? And God and Jesus heals him. You gotta understand that this, Jesus was the only one in the Bible to be able to heal blindness. Why? Because he's the only one that can heal the mind, <laughs> Why is it so, why the Bible says you have the mind of Christ? Why do you need the mind of Christ? Because without the mind of Christ, you can't understand the gospel of Christ. You can't understand the good news of Christ. If you try to interpret the gospel of Jesus without the mind of Jesus, you're going to create another religion. How imperative is it for us to repent? If you don't repent, don't try ministry because you're just going to teach people the fallen nature in which you're currently living in. And you will create a sin-focused ministry and you will be disappointed as a pastor or a leader when people don't live up to the biblical expectation. And you know what that breeds? It breeds frustration with your people and then all of a sudden they begin to feel that and they feel the division and it just creates this, this unhealthy environment, Right? What kind of a relationship do you think you have with your kids if all you do is consistently poke your finger in their face and tell them how wrong they are? Are they wrong? Yes. But is that what you want your relationship to be with them about? What kind of relationship do you have with God? You have the kind of relationship where you're incessantly poking your finger at someone's sin or your own. Let me, say, let me say it this way. Some of you guys, if all of your problems were fixed and solved and sin was completely removed from your life, you'd have no relationship with Jesus left. You'd have no relationship with him because it's not based upon adoring him. It's not based upon just basking in his presence. It's not based upon believing him and and, and receiving and letting these things that he's already given you grow up inside of you and giving room for the gospel and praying these things out of yourself because you know you possess them. Most people, if you took all their sin away, they'd have no relationship with Jesus because Jesus leaves some sin in their life because he knows that's the only way that they'll actually come to the position of posture of surrender. He leaves just enough darkness left inside of you because it's the only thing he knows that will bring you back to his feet. He's hoping one day that the relationship that you have with him will be based upon love and surrender and loving him and just being with him versus the fact that you know you need him because of focus on sin in your life. Listen, when you beat whatever it is you think you want to beat, there'll just be something else. You'll never be a good enough Christian for the devil. There's always going to be a voice in the back of your head telling you, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. This is why Jesus says, agree with your adversary quickly. Just get it over with. Yes, you're not good enough, but he is. And guess what? He's inside you. He's inside you. What do you want to look at? See, what you focus on is what you think about because you see with your mind. To understand that to have a relationship with God, you have to let him rule according to his own character and authority. You can't frame him in the image that you want him to be. He doesn't bow to what you think he is. He doesn't care about your opinion of him. He exists outside of your opinion. Just like I don't care of your opinion of me, I know who I am. Your opinion of me means very little to me because I know who I am. And you may only know a part of me, but I know you don't know the whole me. So basing what you think you know about me upon one time meeting me means nothing. It means you don't have a proper definition. And it's the same way with God. As, as little as if we've met the eternal species of God himself is, is to the degree that we know him. And we're trying to frame the eternal God based on a few experiences that we've had in the past whenever we've just barely taken one grain of sand off the top of the mountain and we're building a theology on it and we're waving it in people's face trying to make them agree with our version of it. Arrogance. You with me? And we talk about the secret place, but you realize that most people don't even, have, don't even know how to get there. They can't get there. You know why? Because when they show up, they have to deal with all their sin. <laughs> they live such horrible lives. They can't get in the secret place because when they go, they have not repented. They framed God in such a way that when they go to pray, all they see is darkness, all they hear is rejection, all they see is this division inside of them, and there is no relationship. That's like trying to be intimate with your wife right after you get in a huge fight. It doesn't work. This is the relationship we're trying to have with the Lord and then we're just telling people, well, you just find your secret place. They can't. They don't have one. The relationship they have with God is based upon their sin and that's it. When it should be based upon his goodness and his power and his life and the fact that he is able to forget your sin now because of that great blood. There was a story many years back where this Catholic lady had claimed to be able to see Jesus. She kept seeing Jesus and seeing Jesus and people kept coming to her and she was ministering to them and, and pretty soon it got through the, the whole thing and I'm, I'm not endorsing Catholic faith, but nonetheless, she saw Jesus, she saw Jesus, she saw Jesus, she was beginning to minister to people. People get, get, get free and it got up the chain of command and pretty soon, I don't know if it was a cardinal or somebody high up began to hear about this woman and he went to her and he said, so you say you're seeing Jesus. And she says, yes. He said, okay, I'm gonna put you to the test. I'm gonna go to confession. And I'm gonna confess my sin. And then I want you, when I come back to, you, you ask Jesus what I confessed. And if you can tell me what I confessed, I'll believe you're seeing him. And so he goes to confession. He comes back the next week. And he said, he said, what did I confess before sin? And she said, Jesus told me to tell you that he doesn't remember What kind of relationship do you have with God? See, it almost seems sacrilegious to us to be able to ignore the things of the flesh to focus on things of the spirit because it seems like we're denying reality when it's not. We're actually entering an alternate reality that supersedes the reality that we live in. We're living in kingdom realm, which we've began to repent. We begin to think like God. How can Jesus forgive sins? Okay, you theological masters in here. How can Jesus forgive sins right? Before the blood. Answer me that. How can he forgive people's sins before he shed the blood? Because the Bible says, in Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's what? No remission of sin. How can he, how can he forgive sin before he shed his blood? You don't know the answer. Because God exists as he is, and you don't get to tell him who he is or how he is or what he's supposed to be. And he is the one that brings freedom and life. Do you know why he was able to forgive sin before the shedding of blood? Because only the person who you've sinned against has the authority to forgive you. And Jesus was the one we were sinning against. Therefore, he had the authority even before the blood to forgive sin. He is king you don't get to tell him how to be jesus you don't get to tell him how to be god he's not going to bow to your love he settled this a long time ago when moses saw that fiery furnace bush and he walks up into that thing and he says who sent who who do i say sends me he says i am who i am in other words i get to be who i am you don't get to determine me or define me i get to determine and define you If Jesus has blanketed you with the blood of the cross and the forgiveness, that means you need to start that with that as your foundation. And you need to walk in that and believe in that and breathe that and accept that and swallow that and digest that. And if anything else comes out of your life, you stand up and you say, I thank you for the power of the blood. And the devil's gonna go, but you just sinned. Yes, but I have an advocate. And it's not me, and it's not my definitions of him. He is how he is, and he, I'm gonna uh, loose him in my defense. This whole, listen, you guys understand, right? That the Great White Throne judgment's about judgment, right? When you die, I don't care what your positions are. I don't care what your opinions are. I don't care how much you study the Word of God. You're going to face God Himself. And all of our opinions, including mine, myself, and probably especially mine because I'm a leader, are going to mean nothing. But let me ask you this. How I many of you guys have, better have been in a courtroom? Let me ask you this. How much does the person on trial actually speak? How much are they actually involved? It's the same way now. If you wanna try to stand up and take your own case, go for it. But if you got a good defense attorney, your best bet is to believe him, shut your mouth, sit down, and let him work. You understand what I'm saying? He is working for you in spite of your sin. He is defending you through his blood. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong if you believe him. That same master says, all things are possible to him that believes. All things. Not part of it, not some of it. You know what we like? We like a, a generalized theological Uh, Christian basis where we just all walk out going, we're all worms and we're all sinners and we're just all doing the best we can. And then you just go about your week and live in misery and you come back on church on Sunday and you don't even know why, because it's your culture and that's, that's basically it. Make us feel really, really bad and then we go home and try to work harder next week and do better and many of you guys have ever made it through a week without doing something majorly wrong? You don't feel better about yourself, even if you manage to pull it off. You don't feel better about yourself. You still look in the mirror and you still look inside. And you go, "There's something more to this thing," and I'm not satisfied. You know what Paul said? As touching the law, I was blameless. All six hundred thirty-three commandments, he kept them. Can you imagine that? But he wasn't satisfied. It's not about your morality. Are you, are, are you understanding what I'm saying to you this morning? In John one twenty nine. Listen, this is a prophetic transfer. You got the greatest prophet in the Bible, the two greatest prophets in the Bible, in this one chapter, in this one moment. John one twenty nine. First, the last prophet of the Old Testament, the first prophet of the New Testament, this Old Testament prophet comes and actually seals and signs the delivery of the finality of the Old Testament covenant and enters the new one. And he releases a new prophetic order, which is Jesus coming in. And he says, behold, look, in other words, see, right? See with what? Your brain. Why? Because he was the first person to preach repentance, wasn't he? John the Baptist was the first person to preach repentance. Because he was trying to say, look, prepare your mind. The king's coming, and if you view him according to this ancient Israeli way, you're going to miss him when he comes. Prepare yourself for his coming. Because they were all about sin, all about sin, all about sin. Why? How do you know that? When you look at John's baptism, it was a, it was a baptism of What? sinners. These men came and they were like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Go do this. Don't don't seal anymore. Don't do this anymore. Don't do that anymore. Sin, sin, sin. And he finally sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does the Bible lie? When John prophesied, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was he a false prophet? If Jesus took away the sin of the world, then why does it still exist? Because you choose to obey a different master. In Jesus' mind, sin no longer exists. If it's present, it's present because of willful rebellion against love. And guess what? He's such a merciful God that all you have to do in that willful rebellion is just simply stop willing and rebelling and turn around and he's immediately right there. And then once you've confessed your sin, you don't have to keep confessing it. But I feel shame about it. That's because you're used to feeling the demon of shame and you're used to coddling it and it's used to manipulating your head. The Bible says that when God blesses someone, he doesn't add sorrow to it. When he blesses you with repentance and forgiveness, he's just not gonna add shame to it. And like, oh, well, we gotta make sure that you stay manipulated by your sin, so that way the preacher has something to convict you with next week. So we're gonna add a little bit of shame to that forgiveness so that way you stay just down enough and subjugated enough that you don't feel like a son, but you feel like a servant. Do you understand the Bible says that you are joint heirs with Christ? You know what that means? It means whatever he's gonna inherit, so are you. But I'm not a preacher. It's not a requirement. But I'm not an evangelist. It's not a requirement. You're joint heirs, not because of anything you've done. You're joint heirs because of everything he has done. Which means I don't have to work for a greater reward. I work because I have a great reward. You see the difference? Listen to this. Do you guys find John 129? So the next day John sees Jesus. He saw him. Not just here, but with his mind and with his heart. He saw Jesus. You know why he saw Jesus? The next few words tell us why he saw Jesus. Who came to who? What are those, those three words right after the word Jesus? You know, that old revival Altar call, come to the Lord, come to the Lord. I'm sorry you had it wrong. The Lord came to us. All you have to do is behold him because he's here. Come to the Lord. Jesus came to him. Is John special here? No. You know why I know that? Because Jesus said that John was the greatest prophet that ever prophesied, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. And if Jesus came to John, Jesus will come to you. He's not asking for your work. He's not asking for your service. He's asking for you to be the son he died to make you to be. You, some of you guys in here need to abandon completely your, your current understanding of Christianity. Christianity. It has not served you well. Christians pursue what sons naturally possess. I don't have to go asking for something he's already given me. This is why we don't see our prayers answered because we're praying for something we already have. There's very few things in the Bible that God tells you to pray for because there's not very many things you don't have. He says to pray, because the fields are white in the harvest, to pray that Lord sends laborers to the harvest. Why? Because we don't have those laborers because we don't have people who are in love enough that that love invokes a work. He also asks us to pray for wisdom, because wisdom is a separate being, a separate entity. It's not naturally occurring. But love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, the fruits of the spirit are organically inside of you. I bear the nature of my father. I don't have to drum those things up. I just have to move everything else out of the way for them to come out. You know what the biggest problem that you have is? It's simple. It's unfreaking belief. You don't believe that God loves you because of how you act. You don't believe God can forgive you because of what you've done. You don't believe God can save someone else because of how impossible it looks. You don't believe God is gonna take you to this level or that level because of of what, dot, 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 dot. Listen, if you think your wife is more powerful enough to stop God, then you don't have any faith. If you're looking at her sin and why she's not right with the Lord, then don't tell me about your faith. Or vice versa. Because you know what? Jesus, he looked at Peter right before he was about to betray him. And he said, I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. (laughs) He was so confident in his own prayers. He's like, it's okay. I'm going to forgive you before you even do wrong. You realize the Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. You know what that means? That means he healed you before you were ever hurt. Why do I still feel pain? Because you believe it. You start believing your healing incessantly as much as you believe your pain, guess what? Healing will start to flow. Because God honors you. He honors your lowercase k kingship. And if you wanna bring doubt and depression into your family by focusing incessantly, hammering on what everybody's doing wrong, congratulations, you've killed your house. You wanna do that to yourself in the mirror? Congratulations, you've murdered, you've, you've committed suicide. What are you waiting on? You know what needs to die? You know what your Ishmael is? You know what our Ishmael is? It's our idea of ourself we're trying to get to at some point down the future, way right in the road. And we're gonna to try to be, one day I'm gonna be here with the Lord. It doesn't exist. That person you created in your mind does not exist, nor will he ever exist. You know what exists? You right now, and Jesus is in love with you madly. But, no, there's no button. You don't get to tell God who he can love and who he can't. You don't get to tell him. You don't get to decide who he loves and who he doesn't. Love cannot be understood, it can only be experienced. So let him fulfill himself by experiencing his love. Why, because it's better to give than receive. So let him be the giver that he is. God so loved the world that he gave. The only thing that fulfills the heart of God is giving to us in a way where we receive it. Because if you give somebody a gift and they don't take it, it hurts your heart. Stop trying to be good enough and worthy enough, fast enough, brave enough, smart enough, holy enough, you just grow where you're at, you submit where you're at. And if you have problems in your life, you get people around you to pray into your life enough to where you begin to believe who God made you to be. Once you begin to believe that, you will naturally let go of certain things that are going wrong in your life and nor will you pray for their for their healing anymore. Because at some point Jesus is going to ask you if you really get honest with him. He's going to ask you, "Am I enough?" I had some issues in my young childhood that I was dealing with and things that I was having to work through my, as, a, as a person, as an individual and everything. And I kept praying and praying and praying and certain things in my life and I had a, a chaotic childhood and, 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 and God finally said to me, will you still serve me even if I never fix this? And I had to decide right then, where was my value? Was it in him or was it in him doing something for me that made me feel better about myself? Everybody's got a situation. If I don't ever fix your wife, are you still gonna believe for her and pray for her and serve her and love her if I never touch her? Am I enough? Or do you still need Jesus plus something else? Because that's an impossibility. You know why? Because Jesus gave you everything he has. There's nothing else he can give you. Are you with me? Yes. Oh my goodness, I want to. I want to read this real quick before I close. You guys, okay? Yeah. Ah, Colossians two. We're gonna start in verse nine and go to verse fifteen, and I want to. And but I want you to see this. Can you put it up there, Colossians two nine? <clears throat> This is on God's heart, because if you don't get what I'm saying today, I don't care what version of Christianity you create after this, it will be the wrong one. This is why Paul said, if anybody preaches to you a different gospel than this, let him be cursed. You gotta rest in the fact that God loves you and you gotta grow where you're at. And that's a different sermon. I don't have time to to reveal right now about the two different types of sons. But when you're young and you're immature, you need to grow and you need to grow with God, not with focusing on your sin. Will you sin? Yes. Will you screw up? Absolutely. Will you have hard days? It'll happen. But what is your focus when it happens? Okay, verse nine. For in him, Jesus all the fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form. An amazing verse. Was Jesus like us? Fully human? How can you fit the fullness of God into bodily form? I have no idea. I'm just glad he figured it out. Because now he dwells the same way in me. Some of you might have a hard time believing that for yourself. The fullness of him dwelt in Jesus, right? Next one. This this verse will blow you out of the water. Have you never read it before? It's brand new. Nobody's ever read this before in their entire life, I promise. God just put it in yesterday. I found it. And in him, you have been made complete. Whoops. That just ruins all of the modern charismatic gospel. So you tell God he's a liar, not me. I'm not gonna argue with you on that. In him, you have been made complete. So what do you lack? You tell me. That's what you lack, belief. It's the only thing you lack. Just believe in it. Next time the devil whispers in your ear, no, I'm complete in him. Thank you very much, I'll pass. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Jesus he rules over the demons that you think run your life. That's good news, isn't it? So why did you live this last week, this last two weeks, this last three weeks under oppression? Because you did not see him. Did you? You just viewed what was going on. You viewed your problems. You didn't view the fact that you were complete in him, that he has been made the head and rule over all authorities, right? King James says the head of all principalities and powers. Those are some pretty big devils. Next verse. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands. In other words, you can't trim off your own flesh good enough to please him, so he did it for you. This is what he's talking about here, was in, it was symbolic of Genesis chapter 19 or 17, where God said, By this covenant, Abraham, I'm making this with you you circumcise your, your kids. It was a sign and a symbol. Who circumcised to? The father circumcised the sons. So trimming off of the flesh and the excess of the life and the reproduction in which we, be, we begin to give life. We are not supposed to give life from flesh. That's the indication. It's a spiritual analogy that God was giving with the circumcision issue, that we're not supposed to give life from flesh. The excess flesh has to be cut out completely in order to give pure life. And so when God s- establishes this covenant, it was a prophetic covenant of, a, of circumcision of our heart. So who, who circumcises who? The Father circumcises the Son. He says, You've been circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. In other words, God is, it's God's job to deal with that stuff inside of you. It's your job to obey the things that He does in you. His job to do it, your job to obey it. He cut all that stuff out of your heart. Now you're supposed to live as free men, free women. With me? The removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, right? And also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. The operation of who? How come your name's not right there? God made a mistake. Your name's got to be right there where that word God is because it's got to be your operation, your working. That's how we do it, isn't it? That's how we do it. It's not how we should do it, but that's how we do it. Through faith and the working of Chad. Insert your name there because that's how we live our current Christianity. Like you've got something to drum up. You know what you need to do? You need to rest. Rest. Some of you can't. You know how many ministers I've seen that can't rest? Because their power is in their working. They can't rest. And if they are working, they're working in unrest. Listen to this. Who raises... Him from the dead. Next verse. All right? Verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Not some, not the ones you did yesterday. Do you realize He's even forgiven you from the ones you haven't committed yet? You don't even know what sins you're gonna commit this next year, but he's already labeled you as forgiven if you'll just believe him. All sin. All. See, Jesus doesn't do a partial work in us. He doesn't do a a, 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 a partial work. He forgives all. How come you can't believe that? How come we can't believe that? Because we're focused on our sin, we're not focused on the fact that he's taking it all away. Can you believe that for somebody else who's not operating in it? Can you believe it for your spouse, regardless of what you see? It's not faith until the opposite's not happening. If, 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 If it was happening in your wife and you saw it, you wouldn't have to believe it. But when it's not happening in her and you're standing as if it is, that's faith. Because you're believing kingdom reality. You're letting God be God. God doesn't just heal wombs. He chooses dead ones first. Why did he choose Sarah? Why did he wait 25 years after the promise to be able to make it come to pass? Why did he wait another 25 years just to make sure her womb was doubly dead? Exactly, because we have a God who raises the dead. That's how he naturally operates. But you know how we naturally operate? We want him to keep things from dying. And we call those miracles. Just read John 11. I'm not gonna go into it. Go read John 11. Verse 14. Listen to this. This is amazing. Having canceled out the certificate of debt in us, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, the laws that we committed that we broke, the sin that was against us, it was written down. He took his blood and he smeared it over the page and he said, I don't see it anymore. And why are you making your whole life about it? Why are you making your marriage about it? Why are you making your relationship with your kids about it, and your job, and your boss? Why is everything involved in your life about sin? Why is the only thing we can see in our government it's the sin that's going on? Because we are incessantly focused on it. We see it everywhere we go. We've developed our mind to see it, and we call it prophetic when we can call it out. I'm sorry, it's not prophetic when you can call out sin, because the demon can see sin. And if the demon prophesies, he's false, because he's a liar. The first prophet of the New Testament sets the context of prophecy it's not about sin anymore. It's not about sin anymore. The New Testament prophetic order is not about sin anymore. It's about the restoration of God's people. These things were against us and he took it out of the way and he nailed it to his cross. Verse 15, last verse. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the principalities and powers. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through his cross. Paul's talking about what kings used to do in the Old Testament when they would defeat somebody. They would completely strip the king of his power, his robe, completely naked. They would bind him hand and foot with a chain around his neck and tie him behind a horse as the conquering king would parade him around the city saying, this man has no more power. (laughs) That's what he did to the devil. Well, then why does the devil have so much power? because you're the one unchaining him and letting him into your mind and your heart and your life. So stop and everything will begin to change. When Jesus says go and sin no more, he believes you have the ability to do it. That doesn't mean you're never gonna make a mistake. What it means is, is you step out of the habitual nature of sin that you are involved in because you can. You have to believe these things or God cannot take us to the next place. with me it's amazing to me how many how many seasoned mature Christians ministers pastors preachers and it's just it's all about sin it's a good sermon if the pastor can preach against sin I'm sorry I'd rather take the blood that covers the sin than a message that exposes it does sin have to be exposed but yes it will but you know who does that the Holy Spirit. And he's good at his job. Where do we get this mind, the modern mindset where pastors and ministers and evangelists are the Holy Spirit? And it's their job to convict people of sin. Jesus spoke and people were convicted. Why? Because people came back and said that he speaks as one who has authority. We've never heard anybody say anything like this. You know why? Because he had the spirit of God on his words. You want people to be convicted of sin? speak and live in the spirit and the Holy Spirit will do his job. And I promise you, he will lay that person at the feet of Jesus and in their quiet time, in their own pro- moment, in their own brokenness, they'll, they will bring their sin out and say, Jesus, I don't want it anymore. It's our job, our job to repent, to glorify him. And when people see that life structure and they see the rivers of living water coming out of us, they will come and drink. But it can't be a sin focused relationship with Jesus. John 9. Who sinned? Whose fault is it? Is it the parents? Is it this? Was it the kids? Is it a generational curse? Listen, you want to go looking for generational curses? (sighs) Have at it. Sign up for ancestry.com and go all the way back because you're going to be a long time working on that. You know what I believe? I got new blood. I've got a new father, I've got a new DNA, I don't care what my dad did or my grandparents did, I have a new father, generational curses don't exist for me. They were broken the moment I accepted Jesus as my savior. I don't have to go getting deliverance over something my grandpa did back in the 50s. That's ridiculous. All that does is create this subculture of of we're dominated by the devil and we gotta figure out all these things that he's doing wrong in our life and search it all out. No, I wanna focus on my father because that's how, I've, that's how I glorify him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. Not if the demon is lifted up, not if your problems are lifted up, not the things your, your wife or your kids are doing they are lifted up, but lift up Jesus. Can you do that in your life? Where you're sitting there poking at sin in yourself or somebody else, can you just start lifting him up instead? things will make more sense. Amen? I didn't get anywhere near my notes and I apologize for that, but we have to get this. I pray you heard this. I pray you heard this by the Spirit of God. I pray that you heard it well enough, practically enough that you go home and actually change how you operate, change how you think. Wait a minute, no, I'm not gonna think like that anymore. I'm not gonna make my relationship with my wife or my spouse about everything they're doing wrong. Because God doesn't make his relationship with you about everything you're doing wrong either. Because if he did, you would have no hope. He makes it about what he did right. That's what he makes the relationship about. Father, we thank you. Please stand. We love you. We honor you. We don't deserve you. You came and rescued us, you came to us and I ask in Jesus' name that we by the Holy Spirit would hear you and see properly that we would interpret who you are by your spirit. That we would behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. and we wouldn't make our relationship with you about the things that we've done wrong, but we would make it about the thing that you did right. And that your son was good enough for us. And that we have been given the fullness of God. And we are not beggars, that we are sons and we are not servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But we know what you're doing because we have the spirit of life inside of us. So I pray that that spirit rises in these people and they begin to believe the thing that Jesus died to give them, that it would rise Rise up inside their minds and their hearts and their relationships and father that they would not live under oppression and those people who feel condemned i pray father in jesus name that the spirit of life would come and remove that from them and they would no longer walk in the flesh but they would walk in the spirit of life and truth and you restore their joy restore their hope and like like that covenant you made with abraham and isaac you named him isaac which means laughter because the, the fruit of the covenant that you make with us is supposed to bring joy That's why you listed it second. Love, joy, peace. We thank you, Father, for the love of God. Now we ask for the joy of the gospel to return, that we wouldn't just live in bad news and call it church, but we would live in good news that he is king and we are born again and we're made new and that we live in the righteousness of Christ and nothing can defeat us even if it kills our physical body. We are undefeatable. We thank you, Father, and we release this over our homes and our finances and our families and our jobs and our real estate and our uh, mechanics and our animals and everything that we possess. We give it to you and release life over it in the name of Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.